All right, uh, Judd, I don't know, since you haven't listened to episode, we have a little thing, beginning of the podcast, we let the guests dedicate the episode to anybody, anything that they wanted to. So what would, who would you like to, oh. or what would you like to dedicate this episode to? Um, so I'm a public defender in Dakota County. Okay, okay. And uh, I would dedicate it to anyone who has a criminal record holding them back from doing what they otherwise want to do. All right. I like that. I like that. All right. Nichols, hello, hello. <laughs> so I, I, you're primarily you have another job, as you mentioned in the beginning. You're a public defender, right? Yes. And then you do uh, films and stuff, right? So you have, kind of have two professions. Yeah, I would say two professions, or I consider it kind of like a um a creative outlet that's turned into something bigger and bigger and more and more important to me. Okay, yeah. Is that how it started, working in, like, films and stuff? Just kind of like a little... I think I can give you a, a backstory. It's it's a little bit long, but I'll give you the well, most... That's what, that's what the best thing about podcasts are. Right, yeah. It doesn't <laughs> have to fit into, like, 20 seconds. Yeah. Um. So I would say I did almost nothing artistic until uh, after law school. Okay. I started working at a private criminal defense firm. This is, like, 2013 uh, when I graduated law school, mm-hmm. and... I was like the only associate, and then there was one kind of main attorney, and then there was a legal assistant. And there was just so many days where he wanted me to be there, and only because the legal assistant was there too. But it was like I never had stuff to do by the end of the week because I was pretty good at writing and getting everything done that I needed to. You got all your prep done, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so like towards the end of the week, I found myself just sitting in this office kind of daydreaming about what I would rather do. And uh, it was like I had so much time to dream up other things that I wanted to be doing. And so yeah. after like eight months, I walked into the office and I just had this feeling like I'm never walking in here again. And I know it. Weird. And Weird. so I went in there and I just kind of told him like, hey, we need to talk. I, you know, this isn't working out for me. And uh, so I quit, and then I sort of made a resolve with myself that I was going to start doing the stuff that I had daydreamed about. So one of them was I'd never been in a play before, and uh, so I like just started uh, looking for stuff on like Craigslist on uh, the t- I think yeah. it's TV film and something else. Sure, like for commercials and stuff, they they, they usually advertise on there. I don't know if they usually do or not, but that's where I ended up. <laughs> right, uh, that's where you found it. Okay. Yeah, call All back right. to my old dating strategy. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. So then uh, I, like, auditioned yeah. for this play and, uh, you know, took myself way too seriously and, like, was curious if I was good enough. And right. it turns out I think they just would have taken anyone who, like, 
fit the up, age right? yeah showed up <laughs> yeah you fit the you fit the age group and demographic right yeah, yeah something like that so i was in this play it was uh it was an original screenplay or original play okay and uh I had my friend go and I asked him how he thought it went and he was like, it was pretty good. And I was like, well, what'd you really think? And then he's kind of giving me the critiques and he went on for like 20 minutes about how terrible it was. <laughs> and uh, But sometimes a bad review is better than a positive. Ronnie, you got 20 minutes to talk to you rather than if somebody says a positive, there's like two sentences and they leave you alone, right? That's right. Kind of the, I learned that very much when I critique arts that or anything artistic or creative the bad review takes longer than the good review right right <laughs> well and it can be constructive it's not just like no a, yeah 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 but usually like i would see people who critique whole bad movies that never get you know people that say better than a half you know star rating will write more about it than somebody's right. like it's a phenomenal movie you got to see usually you just have a sentence or something like that so right yeah um yeah and then his negative review, I mean, yeah. it was more about, I think, the production than specifically my performance because my oh, role right. wasn't right. wasn't super high up there. It was probably in the middle of speaking roles. Uh, but then I, I don't know. I was just like I wanted to be a part of something a little bit more meaningful. So I was like maybe I'll just get a camera and I'll start doing short films and photography. And I just like uh, once I discovered the camera, I kept going with that and then did you buy like a still photography camera before a moving camera uh it was it was like a dslr so it did both but nice. All right. uh i think i actually started doing video instead of photo because every time i took a photo it was like blurry and stuff and i was like i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> but this isn't working <laughs> so then video at least like when you're you're looking at the viewfinder you're like all right this like isn't a total mess right now uh, so I think that's why it was almost a mistake that I ended up doing video instead of photo after I got the camera. Uh, and then I took improv courses and I started auditioning for everything that uh, I could. And just as a way to push my push myself to try things right. new. Yeah. How would you find them? Just on the internet or like yeah. word of mouth or somebody like, hey, you want to look for that? Or that's primarily how you found them? Well, yeah, like Craigslist, uh, go-to. <laughs> and then... Uh, Gosh, there was a, yeah. I can't even remember. There was one that was, it was like a, you just posted your profile on there. I don't know mm -hmm. if they still have it or not. It was some guy running it. Because the couple times I got gigs through this website, I can't remember the name of it. The guy who ran the site called me and he was like, I think he was doing it for free in Minnesota. So anyway, yeah, stuff like that, just anywhere I could on the internet. But then... I ended up getting cast for the show called The Island. I don't know if now where was the island? Where was it on? Yeah, I, well, I don't. I, I was going to say I don't. I assume you haven't heard of it, but I didn't know if right. You I didn't. Me. I didn't hear, but okay. it's, I, excuse my ignorance. <laughs> no, I, but what, what what was it about? Um. So, I and I definitely excuse your ignorance. I don't know if I would have thought any more highly of you had you seen it. Okay. But it was a show on NBC, a reality TV show. Right. It was about 14 guys trying to survive uh, filming themselves. So there was no camera crew uh, just trying to make it uh, for as long as they could. Just filming, that was like a competition? That was kind of like a relative? No competition, just right. uh, co you know, it's meant to be cooperative. And the, f the 14 of us just 
basically making a docu-series out of our attempt to survive. So like a modern man trying to make it in nature. Did you, so you had to pretty much do like guerrilla style, just go, go, go or on the, on the show or how would you film that? Would they show your actual film or they actually film you filming it? That's one of my questions. No, no, we filmed it ourselves. So there was no camera crew. We were the cast members and the, I crew see. members. Okay. All right. So, and then the other, and the other people involved, would they help, help, or you guys were kind of all together working together? We um, all worked together. All right. Yeah. And that's got, was that a pretty much a, I got to be a heck of a learning experience to learn how to, on a location and documentary, you're just, you're stuck with what you have to shoot there, right? Yeah. 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 And it was cool too, because it was, we were all, in behind and in front of the camera for the most part. Okay. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I've told this story like a thousand times. So I get, it's become a little bit of a broken record in my mind. Sure. The last thing I'd ever want to do is like keep telling everybody about the reality show I was on. Cause right. I don't think that, I hope that doesn't define me forever. No, but it's a, I think it's an important stepping launch for how you got where you are because that how, I mean, you yeah, probably had to learn quite a bit just being on the show. You learn quite a few things, right? Oh yeah. yeah. You learn a ton. And I mean, it was like winning a lottery ticket. Uh, a lot of people would have killed to have the experience. I did just being a part of a network TV show uh, seeing how the casting process works yeah. and then being there on location for a month and then seeing how they patch it together at the end. And then there's the whole like pop culture experience of people responding to it and reaching out to you and you know, that whole thing. Right. So it, it was totally invaluable. And in a weird way, I think that's why I've really stuck to trying to keep making films and okay. short videos and everything I make because I don't think the island is my peak, you know. And I right. I, I think it's a more. I want to understand it's, it's probably it's going to help you get you out somewhere where you want to go. But it's a good good learning experience. Like a month, a month on an island. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you bring a toothbrush? I didn't, but I found one. <laughs> <laughs> but then I forgot to use it. <laughs> so uh, where was it? Where was it? Where was the island at? Uh, it was in. It was off the coast, the Pacific coast of Panama. Okay. But we didn't know that at the time. So, and I was, I was a maybe for the longest time in the casting process. Oh, you were a soft. Okay. Right. And I don't know if everyone else was or not, but they kept saying like, because this was after I, yeah, after I had I had my own law firm, and I had just started. I had like two clients, and I resolved both of those cases. And there was like a one week window. Yeah where I was either going to be cast or not. And I had to have that next month freed up. So I had a couple cases kind of in limbo and I'm like, a nice little window for you. Yeah. Yeah. So then they said on, once they finally said, you know, you're, you're cast, they were like, we're flying you to LA on Friday and then we're taking your phone at 7 PM and that'll be it for five or six weeks. So they confiscated you. That was weird. Did you have to, I mean, you are a lawyer, so they give you a bunch of stuff to read and on the yeah. flight there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had yeah. already signed the contract, but right. yeah, it was a super long contract, and I read over it, and then I, I quit about halfway. Okay. Um, I figured it was either like sign my life away on this or not. You know, yeah. I, I, there was. This isn't legal advice, so I'm just going to disclaim that. But it's kind of like 
what negotiating power did I really have? I mean, it didn't seem like right. Much. You're coming on the show. They're just telling you, right? Yeah, yeah this is the deal. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, 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 I did not. Uh, I didn't go nuts with the contract. I just kind of put the squiggles on it and called it a day. <laughs> so after they after they filmed it, did they? How long did it take before it aired? Did they tell you or at all? Or hey, it's going to be airing this? Or did they just launch it without any giving you guys any notification? They. They kept us in the dark a little bit. I mean, we okay. knew when it was going to be aired, but that was one. I mean, that's that's been another motivation for me is we were so not a part of the creative process at all. You know, we were right. so uh, relegated to our role as subjects. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess maybe I was naive or something, but I was like, surprised that they didn't want any of our input <laughs> you just okay i get it so after the show uh and you continue with your law firm but you still look for want to continue doing uh camera work right yeah i'm you know I, i'm kind of over seeing myself on camera i'm not okay. a fan of that anymore uh maybe that'll change one day again i don't know but uh, yeah I, I like now I like being behind the camera, so that's where I'm. That's where right. I am now. Well, how many how many times were you in front of the camera? For a couple, <sighs> quite a few. Not not a ton. It was more like student films, sure, and then the short films we made, and then uh, and then the TV show, and then I I I think I'm still technically with a couple agencies in town, but I haven't gotten right. any work recently. It's just yeah. So. Um, does it is it comfortable doing in front of the camera even though you're kind of criticized and then being in front of courtrooms is that kind of a help a little bit or not really yeah well well once i started doing acting uh it i knew that i would benefit from it in other aspects of my life i think i was a little bit of a shy kid i also think i have at the risk of sounding a little bit arrogant i think i have a lot of personality but it's just you know i i keep that Reserved. I, yeah, I'm a little bit reserved. Yeah. So I knew yeah. that it would have the benefit if I were to do it. So I would say oh, yeah. the answer to your question is yes. Yeah. It's helped me as a lawyer insofar as being a lawyer is being someone's advocate in a social setting in which your social effect, your social effectiveness has a really strong relationship to the outcome in their case. Good, you know? yeah, I get it, yeah. So uh, camera work and then... How did what was your like the first movie you ever did camera work? Were you like start as a grip or would you just write to um, cinematography or were you working on sets and stuff? How did well, you? Well, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Maybe you have an opinion on it, but all right. It seems what's really interesting about the film industry is there's there's sort of a traditional protocol for all of the roles on a film set. Yeah. And as things have gone from film to digital and from, you know, whatever they used for editing 20 years ago to I can do it on my laptop now, it just seems like I don't know if all of those traditional roles are still as relevant as they were, but I would say my my moving into this type of work has been fairly non-traditional because most of what I've worked on has been me and my buddies, you know? And okay, okay. I didn't know that, right. Yeah, and I don't know, 
like I, I, I trust that there is a lot of wisdom to those traditional roles, but uh, like, for example, even slating, I feel like it's so much less necessary than other people have been in the industry for a long time. Sure. Uh, it's just quite a bit easier for a program to line audio and visual up. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, you work with some other people who have been in the industry longer and they have this like militant uh, ritual to starting the record button. I'm just kind of like, what's the big deal? I get it. I, I'm very much because I'm writing my own. I we did before I prep. I told him I'm writing my own comic book and I'm actually drawing it and I'm editing it. At some, so I'm doing everything what a film crew would do. I'm doing all of it. I'm writing the characters. I'm drawing the characters. Make. I'm in charge of the makeup. I'm in charge of the look of it, the angles, and everything. And uh, it's the reason why people ask, "Well, how come your book's not done?" It's like because I'm doing all all of it, and not just drawing it. I have to ink it and scan it and proofread it. So it's it's some when people I get I get to kind of chuckle when people are like, "Well, that they filmed the movie. How come it hasn't come out yet?" Well, it does. <laughs> Sometimes post production takes longer than actually the filming process. So oh, for sure. Yeah, it's kind of. I assume comic books is a little bit like storyboarding. Is there a correlation there? Very much so. Well, you have to think, and well, very much like almost like film. You have to think what's most important in the shot and what should we this what's unnecessary, right? Or hmm. why do we have to angle this one, you know, instead of just being flat and symmetrical, let's put it a little more dynamic into it or something like that. So, right. Yeah. You're always, I'm always kind of constantly thinking about the angle, especially if you're drawing up inside the panel, what's it inside the frame. If you're having two people discuss, you know, are they going to be level or somebody's going to be higher, lower? Are they going to dominate the panel more than the other one why would it so you constantly have to think about what why is that frame look like that especially in comic books too yeah that, yeah. yeah that's one and honestly that's one of my favorite things about camera work it which i assume is a correlates in the way you're describing yeah. i love the meaning behind composition and yeah, well, yeah. how how there's these rules about that and they might seem obvious but when you are trying to compose a shot it really does take a lot of thought, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, some things are more intuitive than others. Like the bigger an object is on on the screen, the more important it is, yeah. presumably. Yeah. So, and it's more in like in a book, it's more you know how they dress, you know how they. I mean, they're holding something in their hand. Well, that has to be relevant to the story, right? There has to be some kind of. You can't just have somebody holding an object and then nothing gets discussed about it ever again that you drew that in there you put it in the movie it has to be some kind of important reference to it so right yeah right. so i'm sure when you do cinematography like the prop department we have to make sure this is in this shot or something like that right right and a and, lot of the times we are the prop department you know it's not like oh really oh yeah, yeah. i mean the last couple projects i've done it's just a couple of us figuring everything out you know so do you actually, are you comfortable doing your own, like I have index cards, do you just draw it out before you shoot it? Or are you just comfortable shooting it and see what happens and start it over? I, I'm open to storyboarding being more important than I've realized yet. Okay. I don't see it as that big of a deal. Like a necessity. Yeah, yeah just because it seems like there's so many moving parts in between what's drawn up and then where we end up placing the camera. So 
it just doesn't seem quite as efficient as I wish it were. I mean, if we, if I were on a project where all of the locations are picked out yeah. and I've been inside of all the spaces and then we go to storyboard in a way that's consistent with those, that would make perfect sense. But it just seems like a lot of the storyboarding I've done, we had this, you know, vision for things, but then we get there and it's like, there's this huge noisy vent in that room. So we go in the other and it's like, all right, that was kind of for not. I think I, for me, I think that when I do in my comic book and I do, you know, okay, next page, I'm going to write out the page and I see what the script is. I do a little index card of what I think will be. And it gives me an idea of what not to do almost. Right. It's not, it's not a, like a solid thing of, okay, this is what each one's going to look like. It gives me an idea, like maybe this panel should be bigger than the other. So it's almost like a play on, instead of going onto the big piece of paper and I have an idea what I want to do, straight out the idea, what almost not necessarily what I want to do, what I don't want to do. It's kind right. of playing that negative that sometimes artists and creative people do. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Do you ever bring your still camera when you shoot films? Um, I know sometimes cinematographers do sometimes bring their still camera with them just to, just to figure out framing and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the last project I worked on, Betafish, because yeah. I know you had talked to Josh. Right, yeah. Um, so for that one, we used a Panasonic EVA-1. It's kind of a newer camera. And then the GH5 was the B-cam. So that takes photos, too. So I had that. But honestly, when it came to framing, I'd usually just pick up my phone and <laughs> open up the camera on that and kind of see how the frame would look. I just I'm so outdated. I didn't think about you taking your phone and just okay, this is what's gonna look like and yeah, hold it right. Yeah. I think the iPhone is 14 millimeters, so it's a little yeah. bit wider than. So the Panasonic is that still like a 35 millimeter, the one that you guys use for Betafish? Um, just as far like it's a digital. Okay, but it's it shoots 4K. It's it's. I'd say it's really, it's probably the nicest, like, lower, end, or I guess it would be a higher-end prosumer or right. consumer camera. So it's, I don't know, it's it's pretty nice. It, pretty it, I mean, it does, I mean, when I watch the trailer, it does take light in pretty good. It does, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I think the GH4, so the previous version of that, was the B-cam on... What's the offshoot of Breaking Bad? Better Call Saul. I think it was the B cam on the first season of that. So I mean, it's it's used pretty in bigger productions as well. Did you guys just rent it out and used it, and or do you keep it? I own both of those cameras. Uh, okay. The more expensive one was a huge investment for me. That like does it I, fit in your car? <laughs> yeah, it does fit. In your car. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's, it's just it's amazing how nowadays because I've how. A lot of times, you know, when cinematographers for 20 years ago had to get a truck because there's a, there's no way all that could fit in there, miles of cord and everything. But I'm sure digital is now everything's more compact and you can get so much out of it and so much space and stuff. So Yeah. I think the camera weighs two and a half pounds. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not as familiar with the history of all of it, but it's it's incredible what one person can do. I mean it still helps to have more but you can really get a lot done by yourself did you was it a, is it one of those that just straps onto you or you just can hold it oh you can just hold it okay um right. we had you know we took did some gimbal shots most of the gimbal shots in that 
uh, film, we had a wheelchair, and then it's this thing called the Zion Crane 2, which these stabilizers are getting more and more compact. They're getting smarter and smarter. I think, didn't you have a, a demonstration of it on your Instagram? Of the, uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least, uh, yeah, on my Instagram, I'm sitting in like a wheelchair. But yeah, the, the combination of the wheelchair and then the stabilizer when you hold that up is extremely slick. Wow. Wow. So yeah. when you do cinematography, and I'm just asking for people who are not familiar with the whole process of shooting, do you have to be in constant with the sound crew too? I mean, or are you shooting and then the sound works kind of, all right, we'll redub. Are you guys in constant communication with each other? Pretty constant. It's yeah. so much easier to have them both done at the same time because there's always nuances. Sometimes there's sounds that you wouldn't think that matter that do and it's just so much easier to get both at the same time. So yeah, that's, there's a little bit of a dance sometimes. Yeah. You know, when we figure out all the blocking, it's all right during this moment, I'm raising the camera up or moving it this way. And then I'll cheat to that position. And then the sound person will dip their microphone in and out and see kind of where the line was in, uh, you know, how close they can get given the different movements the camera's doing. Yeah. So uh, without, with you know, like especially Betafitch with costuming being a big deal, were you constantly, you guys conscious of that, that, okay, certain filters or something with the dresses or something like that, or just? Um, so this took me a little while to learn when I first started, but what you want to do is, sh- is shoot the, shoot and get the white balance right. Okay. Me. So white balance is the temperature you're doing. It's either... I don't know if you know this or not, but maybe some people... No, are. I'm learning. This is great. This is great. I yeah. learned this. So with white balance, what you want to do is compensate for the temperature of the lighting. Okay. So if you're in a room like the one we're in now, uh, it probably has tungsten lighting. So your white balance is going to be a little bit lower because the right. room is naturally pretty warm. Daylight is is kind of... It's cooler than this. Okay. You know, yeah. it's, it's just white light. So... You get that right, but then you shoot with a flat picture profile, so something that's very gray, very uh, low contrast. And then the, the reason you do that because it's the most manipulable. So right. once you have a flat, ideally correct uh, white balance, then you can kind of pull whatever colors you want after. Okay, so you're thinking light first and then color. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it'll pull from the colors that are actually there. So yeah. you want the costumes and the set to, you know, have the colors that you want. Yeah. But as far as <clears throat> accentuating, that, that really can be manipulated pretty well in post. Yeah. Did you ever do anything in black and white? It's not shot that way. Um, I don't think this is any major spoiler, but there is... We did shoot a couple potentially fourth wall breaking moments okay i assume they'll be used i don't know for sure i think when we had josh and he talked about it, there was if you watch the film we might yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i think those because everything around the character no longer is real in that moment it might make sense to edit it as fading to black and white or or cutting to black and white yeah but nothing is shot in black and white but it can always be changed so um the director for betafish is bill cooper 
Yes. Um, how did he find you to do the movie? How did you guys get together? Um, I met Bill at the film. I met both Bill and Josh at the Twin Cities Film Fest. Sure. Um, yeah. which I really enjoy. I highly recommend anyone interested go there because it's just super fun and unique and it's just like good vibes for the most part. Like I, I Oh my gosh, yeah. I've just started going into move film openings and it's amazing how people just how you doing? What's your name? And what's this system? It's a nice how people are very much approachable. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the film culture itself, maybe this is just a little bit of projection in contrast to the legal in like the legal community, but it just seems so much more loose and uh, like less uptight and more about having fun and finding fun and you know making the most i don't know yeah i really like the film fest but i met both bill and josh there and uh i think bill had helped josh kind of develop the screenplay and then i helped josh with the trailer and he's a friend of mine so okay the three of us just met and we're like you know having a few drinks and we're like let's do this so and we're i i I know i mentioned to josh uh when did you guys start when you shot this last year it was all shot this summer uh the last two weeks of june and i remember that because i had had scheduled that off of work for a long time because two whole weeks of shooting is you know that's a long time so you just guys finished this summer and i think you guys are looking for coming out in the next couple months right Oh, that would be very ambitious. Okay. I think it could be up to a year, but don't tell Josh. Yeah. Well, editing is a <laughs> editing is a whole another ball game when you're editing, right? Oh my God, it's it's everything, and the the pacing, what you include and don't include, the color, yeah. uh, the sounds you add in. I mean, you can mess with the chronology even. It, there's a chance that the way you wrote it might not be the smartest way to reveal it. Right. I learned about that too in my own book, how I written it. And it's like, oh my God, my writing. I think that's going to be good. And then you're drawing like, no, it's gonna, right. you're going to have to adjust as you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, real life happens chronologically, except for maybe like dreams. Right. Yeah. But movies and stories, there's no reason to put them that way. You, you should arrange them to tell the strongest story you can. There's no yeah. reason to go from start to finish unless, unless there is. So you guys, did you were you part of the process of picking out locations for Beta Fish? Uh, I helped pick out two of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah and that was kind of that was interesting because was it something that you guys saw in the script and like this fits perfect or this is this is something like wow we just struck gold this is perfect for the inside of pretty much right. uh, both of the locations I helped with I had just been to and thought that they would be good for filming. One of them is this place called uh, Repurpose Republic. Okay. It's And uh, I just drove by it one day in northeast Minneapolis, and it just looked cool. So I stopped in and was talking with the owner for a while, and just the whole time I was – it's like an antique – not antique. It's a mid-century furniture store. Okay. And so they have all this mid-century lamps and couches and uh, tables and stuff. And one of the characters in Beta Fish has a like store as a front. He's like a, you know, he has his nefarious activities, and then the store is a front for it. <laughs> of course, when you have a story like that, yeah. <laughs> right. When you have a crime story, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I just recommended it, and then we went there, and 
that actually took a little bit of convincing, but he ended up being very much on board with it. And uh, I think it, I think that particular location looks great. So did you guys do quite a bit of, because I've only seen the trailer, do you guys do a lot of exterior shots or primarily the movie's mostly interior? It's primarily interior. It's, okay. it's very dialogue heavy. Um, I think with a lower budget, it would have been awesome instead of having conversations about certain things to show them all. But I would say that was a budget constraint, you know. But when you do dialogue heavy films, is it a little bit easier? Is it another different challenge? Because it's you thinking of other ways of making it enticing the shot. You can't just have it just sit still, you know, but. With the dialogue-heavy movie, what was kind of the challenges you guys had to see with that? Well, yeah, it's so it's it's also it's important for them to be doing something. I think right. it's easier for actors too if they're doing something. Um, for example, we had one one scene, uh, scene fourteen. I remember it where it was just a little bit static or stale between the actors. Oh, sure, and so we kind of reworked it and I was like, why don't you be trying to go somewhere and why don't you be cutting them off? And so there's a little game between them on a sidewalk. As they're doing their lines and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It also gives the scene some tension and the characters to have, you know, their motivations play out in a physical way rather than just dialogue. But yeah, I, I would say that was a major challenge. Like, what can they be doing other than talking? You know, you don't want your film to just be two right. heads talking. I mean, right, no, no, you right, know, yeah. You're, I'm sure your comic book isn't that. No. <laughs> Did you guys do a lot of close-ups at all, or you pretty much kept it really depth and screen, or did a couple? I, I would say our, our coverage of the shots was done pretty conservatively, so we okay. would first get... Say there's two characters in this in the scene. You get yeah. a master shot. Every the as much as much as needs to be included included. So both characters, the room, everything. Get a full. Assuming they don't move around too much, get a full take of just the master. Now that you've got that, then you can move in on singles. Yeah. So either an over the shoulder, or it, you know, it can include both characters, but is really focused on one. And then I would say after that, then the close-ups are are probably next in priority. Okay. What's nice about a close-up is when you're editing, you know, you don't have to worry about continuity. No, right, yeah. You, know? you just got to concentrate what, okay, we got every, the whole, yeah, yeah. Because when you cut into a close-up, I mean, if the other character, you know, was shaking their head or picking up a glass, well, now they're not in it. You know, yeah. how so, would you? How do you? When you do close-ups, do you, do you work? How do you communicate with the actors? Is something like, all right, I'm a mark, and you just have to stay there. And... Yeah. So the obviously everything we did was manual focus, and okay. you you have you figure out their movements, and if they're going to be moving in and out of focus, which on most close-ups, I you know we had a pretty shallow depth of field, meaning that where they were in focus was very delicate. Yeah. And so when we, we just figure out their movements, if they're going to be moving, and then you put a piece of, I'm sure there's more complicated ways of doing this, but you put a piece of white tape on the lens and you mark the different focus points in their movements and then just make sure that they are doing it relatively similar on all the takes. 
and then you just adjust accordingly so that they stay in focus the whole time. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that can be such a pain, you know, especially when everything else goes well and then it's like the focus was off. Oh, <laughs> right. I did, oh, that was all great, but I was out of focus. I'm sorry. So right. everybody back to your mark. <laughs> yeah. Dry, dry those tears and work, work yourself up into a sadness again. Was Bill nice enough to give you kind of like a heads up? I've scheduled daily, like, okay, tomorrow we're kind of doing this or. Yeah. You guys, so, I mean, he was the director and your cinematographer. So I'm sure you guys are in constant communications and stuff. Well, he he had kind of pushed for uh, hiring an assistant director. That's Brianna Lee Rose. Oh, she was on there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We so, had her here last week. Oh, awesome. She, yeah. yeah, I'm sure you got this vibe, but she's uh, she's really on the ball. So she yeah. was ahead of the scheduling and making sure everyone that yeah. So she took care of that. So you guys were you're pretty much in close proximity to the assistant director when you're doing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, 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 she's kind of the yeah. the gate holder. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, I'm sure when you're doing a two-hour, two-week film, you don't have a lot of time. It's constantly crushing. So how long? It was like 16-hour days or something? Or There was a couple nearing that, I think. Yeah. We did have – we wanted to have shorter days, uh, and we sometimes succeeded with that. But it was it was a lot. I mean, it was that was really a challenging experience. I thought, right. And I mean, it's it's fun at times, but it's extremely tedious. And uh, when you're working with that many people, like it's if there is a difference in people's executive functions, meaning that if people don't agree about what's the most important thing to do right now, it right. just can create a huge cluster. Well, yeah, especially because scheduling is so important. Okay, we're going to be here, so let's go to all the scenes. It's in the building, right? It's all the scenes. It's not the whole continuity of the movie, but all the scenes that permanently take in this movie, we have to shoot them. We're here. Let's do them. Yeah. 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 And, I, th- like, there's a really basic reality to filmmaking that I think people overlook because there's this glamorous perception of it. But the obvious reality is that there is a square, and what is in the square really really matters and what's not in the square like just doesn't matter at all <laughs> and that's i i never heard this but that yeah it makes sense to me yeah. and sometimes you'll be like moving a light around so that the corner this corner of the square looks different than it looked before and we want it you know exactly right and people with exe- different executive functions, they're sitting there like, can we just go? And it's like, well, no, actually, no. because like this totally matters relative to the project that we're trying to make. So the more people you have, the higher chance there is for a difference in executive functions, which creates frustration and bad vibes, and it kind of ruins it. But overall, I'm sure filming Beta Fish was just kind of more, I mean, obviously you're doing work, but I had a wonderful experience doing it. Right. Yeah, I would right. say most of the time we were having fun. Yeah. Is it your first feature film? Yep. First full-length film? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, what did you guys do after filming? Did you have a big party? No, actually. I think we just we, went home? Yeah, everyone pretty much went home, I remember. <laughs> I was expecting more of a marked like, celebration, but... I think right. I truly think everyone was just, just exhausted. So exhausted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would imagine you just it's a marathon, isn't it? It's like climbing Mount Everest and once you're done, you're kinda of like, Okay, I was you pack up and off you go. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And it was fun though. Like every day you'd wake up and you're like, can we make an awesome shot today? Can we compose like a really nice image? And there was some days where we felt super good about what we had captured. And then other days where it was like, I hope, you know, hope it's good enough. I'm sure that's worth every movie, every big, even a big budget movie. You got days where everything just kind of that naturally goes and you're like, that's weird. And then some days it's a struggle just to get one scene done or something. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's strange too, because so many things have to go right at once. And it's just incredible what becomes the object of your focus. You know, if you'd have told me, you know, five years ago that in the last two weeks of June, you will obsess over the color of a couch and, uh, and the color of lipstick on an actress, I'd say, you're out of your fucking mind. I don't care about that stuff. <laughs> I understand because I'm drawing and it's like, God, it doesn't, I think that does And I go to my wife, does that bother you? No, really? It, no. Are you sure? It bothers me. Well, right. Move on because you can, and I'm at this pace where I'm a page a day. I have to get a page a day. And sometimes it's not the greatest thing I ever created, but we got to move on. You can't just sit and nitpick it. You got to, you know, you got to self-discipline. It's not going to be the home run all the time. You just got to have to find that balance. Yeah. But then, yeah, then sometimes when everything does go really well and there was thought put into these seemingly uh, irrelevant details, yeah. And they all come together. I mean, that's that is a like a deeper satisfaction. Yeah. It's also true with uh this is a little bit bizarre and maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but I think also when when you're shooting and someone's in an uncomfortable but necessary position, I think that there's a slightly masochistic side of people that appreciates <laughs> enduring that challenge. Really? You think so? I think oh, so. I, they're all uncomfortable, like, no, I could do another. T- <laughs> Let's do one more. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining outside. I'm soaked to the. I, can, I, I, I still got it. I can do more. <laughs> right. But, but if it helps the shot right. and it's yeah. totally necessary to be, you know, if it's a sound person that's, yeah. you know, stuck between. A, a brick wall in a car but it's the only place they can be and they're really uncomfortable but they they get it you know there's gratification in that so uh when, when we're watching movies now do you critique the cinematography is that the first thing that pops up to you kind of like a, a musician that's a drummer the first thing he hears when he hears a song is the drums before anything else so does the cinematography pop out first before anything else yeah i and yeah i think it does but then also if i'm bored that's something i can do I'm actually not like a huge movie buff. My friends, oh, it's like in this movie, and I'm like, I haven't even heard of it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's. I really enjoy that. What I what I look for in movies though is when I forget about all that. That's when I know it's like that I'm really enjoying it when the magic takes hold and I completely forget that. There's somebody behind working planned. on it. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like you're, invest, you're totally invested. You bought into all of it, right? I think that's yeah. the most important thing is yeah. the emotional investment. That's what makes good movies. Um, do What's up, next up for you? So I'm working on a short film right now. We're kind of halfway done shooting it. Okay. Um, I have that. Then I have a couple other short films I want to shoot. Um so you're you're still busy. 
Oh yes, yeah. I'm edit. I'm shooting or editing something almost every night and every weekend. And then if I leave work early, I usually go do that too. So, so you have a, like, do you have like a little shop at your at your place of where you like you can set up and edit and shoot and everything? Yep, I have yeah. a, like a twenty seven inch Mac, and I just in my room is right by my bed, which is probably a mistake. But yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm sitting at that desk all the time. It's like, uh, it's like obsessive. Well, it's almost you got to turn off the world to get your. Right, I'm, I mean, when I'm working on my thing, I turn off my phone, even if it's a nine one one, you know, something. Right. <laughs> unless it's unless it's my wife, but every you have for me, I just have to turn off the world. I turn every electronics off, and I just able to create that way. Yeah, um, I wonder, yeah. you know, because people say like, "Well, I'm glad yeah. you have a creative outlet." I don't know if that's exactly what it is. I feel like it is. Right. I don't I think people I who know. say create outlet aren't really creative themselves because you don't have that like for me, I just gotta get it out. For me, it's just not like I just it's not like a recreational thing. I just gotta right. get it out there. It's a little more necessity. Yeah. I think um I think too, I don't know if I'm doing this. I, I kinda hope I'm not, but I wonder if I am like hoping that there is a second life for me outside of my career as an attorney. Um, you know, I, it's almost like, uh, I don't know. I want, I wonder about that sometimes. Cause I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. I've heard that's a sign of an artist. I don't, and I'm not trying to like make myself look like something I'm not, but I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I agree with you there. Cause I have never, I love comic books and I'm doing mine. I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> right, right, and that's not on the small level. Right. Like I know what the buttons do, and right. I know what the well, that was the famous writer Charles Bukowski. He said the greatest thing anybody ever told me, and it was it was my boss. Nobody knows what they're doing. Right. This is the first right. time for everybody. They just act right. like they know what they're doing. <laughs> so true. <laughs> nobody knows how to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I, I think, like I think with art, there are. You know, it might just be a really elaborate mating ritual. You know, we're all trying to impress other right. people. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Impress. That's the other. That's the other idea. Like, I, I like that aspect of like Penn and Teller, the magicians. Right. Right. And they said, "Well, what kind of magician do you want to be? Do you want to just be a magician to impress the masses? Because that's easy. Everyone knows all those. Or you just want to be a magician to impress." other magicians right. that's a little bit tougher right? right so it's the the profession's easy you you can learn all the anybody can learn them and you can appease all the masses but do you want to impress the other magicians well that takes a little tougher. right that would be a a prestige like we want we want prestige yeah know? and that's i don't know if that's really i mean that's i don't know if I, you could ever if you impress somebody that you appreciate, then what are you going to do next, right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I definitely think there's also this idea of the creative gap. I think I'm on that train, too. Um, gosh, it's a little video by Ira Glass. I won't say it as well as I heard it from him, but yeah. I think the reason we get into creating things is is usually because we're inspired by someone else who did it. And then when you start doing what you've been inspired to do, you realize that your product is, there's this huge gap between what inspired you and what you've now started to create. 
and closing that distance over time is is kind of the endeavor you know you're trying to make what brought you into it so for me uh you know really incredible films and videos and images i think that drew me in and every time i make something i'm like well this isn't what i wanted it to be (laughs) the other unique aspect of and i is i think it relates to what we're discussing in making stuff and doing things and why we continue to do things but i officiate uh, high school football and all Hmm. other levels of football i've been doing it for many years over over 15 years wow and there's a big you know we you get to know people and you get to hang out with them and the big saying is why do we continue refereeing because it's it's very you cannot make a mistake when you referee at all never Mm. And you got to learn how to communicate with coaches and kids. It's a very different dynamic of just knowing the rules and executing. You have to know how to do your mechanics and as well as you have to work with other people, right? You, if you screw up, then they all look bad too. You got to do your job. Right. And we always say, why do we keep doing it? And the reason why we keep doing it is because we want to do the, we want to look forward to something so we free, don't, so we don't remember the last horrible thing we did right <laughs> <laughs> right the last game was terrible well we got a new one coming up so right, we can look forward right. to that you don't want to be that was the last game you ever did and you feel awful you keep doing it because <laughs> yeah it's like a perpetual dilution of past error <laughs> right. the other uh, the, i was going to mention to you my, my friend uh brad perry he does a comic strip uh, hmm. called Pirate Mike, and he gets in circulations. And I've had him on my previous other podcast. But he used to be a lawyer. He used to be a public defender, just like you. Oh, dang. And he got out of it. Sounds like a sharp guy. Well, he got out of it. because simply go, I go, why did you stop? He goes, well, I was actually drawing Pi- Pirate Mike in the courtroom, and the judge caught me. <laughs> so it's like, maybe you think you should be doing something else. So Right. That's hilarious. <laughs> and now he does that. Now he does that, yeah. But... It's, uh, yeah, if you can find it, Pirate Mike is my friend. Bad, Bad Perry does that. So, wow. Uh, we have a few more minutes here, Judd. Mm-hmm. And my last question for all my filmmaking uh, people: the last question I always give them is, "What is your favorite movie?" Oh man. Um, this isn't my official response, but I'll say uh, Cartel Land. It was an Oscar-nominated documentary, I think, two years ago. Cartel Land. Cartel Land. I think it's been on my radar. I have no... I should look it it's, up. Uh, oh, it's just incredible. And the the guy, the filmmaker's name is Matthew Heineman. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. Okay. He he, he does almost all of it himself. Uh, wow, and, like editing, filming, and all that. And documentaries yep. are tough because you can't tell anybody, all right, do that again. I didn't... <laughs> right. right. You got to take for what's out there. You got to take it for what it is, yeah. And he tells, uh, he just tells an incredible pair of parallel stories. One being at the border with kind of, I, I would say, fairly ignorant uh, people near the border in uh, Arizona, and then he follows around kind of an anti-cartel cartel leader okay. in uh, sort of the middle of Mexico. And these two parallel stories and how they play out. And he doesn't try to tell the story with a political agenda, but the way those stories play out and the way that, uh, and the, the scenes that he's put himself in, I mean, people shooting and all this other stuff. I mean, shooting guns, not cameras. Yeah. Uh, the level of ambition that it must have taken to get that footage and put those stories together. 
uh, I, I couldn't believe what I saw him do. Wow. And I always question, you know, because I have a camera, which I think is like the coolest tool in the world. I think yeah. cameras are so much cooler than guns and uh, cars and, uh, you know, modern technology. I think cameras are like the coolest thing. I think if we re rewrote the Constitution, you know, there should maybe be uh, uh, amendments that allow people to carry cameras and use them as they see fit. I don't know. It's a little <laughs> bit out there, but... Uh, I always question, am I doing the most important things I can do with this tool or am I dicking around too much? And uh, Cartel yeah. Land, I love because I'm like, I just love what he did with his tool. He, he, made, he got some incredible stuff, uh, found diverging perspectives, tracked them down, followed them around, watched them develop naturally and just observed and then put it all together in a way where uh, I think if you watch it, you're just like blown away by the complexity of I'm gonna human have beings. To. I'm going to have to. I'm camp I've, I've heard of it. I've just, you know, and I'm always, always watching the fictional stuff and I should pay attention a little more to documentaries. So yeah, thanks. check it out. Cartel it's called Land. Cartel Land. Two words. Yep. I have two words. All right. I have to say judge. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank yeah, you. Thanks man. for having me. This is actually, I love work talking about technical stuff of film. Sometimes it's a little more interesting than learning about stuff about filmmaking and people that I think like film have no idea about and they get to learn as well as I do. So yeah. thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. So Definitely. And you have to come back and tell us about more of your <laughs> camera endeavors. I'll do my best. <laughs> Thank you.